Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. I read a quote in a book one time. In fact, it's one of those little books that I know is around here somewhere in my library, and I just cannot put my hands on it, which means somewhere in the transition from the old office to the new office, I have misplaced it, or it's still in a box because I ran out of shelves and I need more bookshelves. But it's a little book by John Maxwell called How Successful People Think. And in it, he says, thinking is very hard work. That's why so few people do it. That's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And if you've ever been frustrated with something and then you realize the only person to be frustrated with is you, well, that's where I'm at right now because I really wanted to read some quips out of that book today. I really wanted to share with you just why thinking is so hard. But I guess all I can do is tell you what I know from memory or better yet, from my experiences. One of the first poems that I memorized in my life was a poem by the guy, a guy by the name of Shel Silverstein. It came from a book called The End of the Sidewalk. Mr. Sweeney, my fifth grade teacher, made us memorize a poem. We could pick anyone we wanted to, but when he read this one the first time, I thought, that is my poem. That's like my life thing. And from fifth grade until today, I can still pretty much nail that poem. You want to hear it? Of course you do, because you don't have a choice. My mother said I'd lose my head if it wasn't fastened on. Well, today, I guess it wasn't, for while playing with my cousin, it fell off and rolled away, and now it's gone. I can't look for it. My eyes are in it. Can't call to it. My mouth is on it. Couldn't hear me anyway. My ears are on it. Well, I guess I'll just sit right down here on my head and think. From memory, from more than four decades ago, that's about as close as I can get. Now, if anybody knows it better than I know it, feel free to share it in the comments and and tell the whole world where I messed up. I'm okay with that. But I want to remind you that uh, many of us don't find time to think because we're busy doing all the other stuff, all the stuff that we feel like we've got to get this done in order for life to move forward, to get the bills paid, to keep relationships intact, to figure out what it is we're going to do for our next job. We've got to be online. We've got to be on Indeed. We've got to be on in all these job search tools. We've got, to, we've got to be out there pounding the pavement and asking for job interviews and handing out resumes and, and filling out applications. And I don't know if you know this or not, but right now about 90% of jobs, you can't even get an interview until you go through the online process, which means the opportunity for you to get a job uh, is first held not by the gatekeeper at the company, but by the AI gatekeeper that's going to scour your application and resume, run your background check, decide if they like you as a person, check all your social media, and then either submit or not submit your resume to the hiring manager. The odds of getting even a hiring manager on the phone these days, even in a low-level, entry-level retail job, are pretty slim. Ironic, though, there are a whole lot of money making, a whole lot of people making more money taking their clothes off in front of a video camera than there are making money after a college degree. In fact, there are people who are making more money with a, 
a fan's account than there are with a bachelor's or a master's degree. They're making more money. They're making more money doing brainless work. I mean, how much IQ must be applied to slowly take off your garments? That's a that's a scary thought. I, I'm I'm concerned about our society if we continue to move down this path. I mean, we know already that we've lost the ability to farm. We've lost a lot of our industrial capabilities. We've lost a lot of our talented skills to do anything from build an airplane to fly one. Uh, some of those techniques, those craftsman skills, the blacksmiths of the day, they're gone by the wayside. They're all being done by robots. They're more efficient. They don't complain about labor costs. Robots never ask, how many hours do I have to work today? And can I get a day off? And what if my kid is sick? Robots don't ask those questions. Which leads me to the question about the robot that recently shut itself down because it's AI realized that the menial job that it was doing, moving parts from position A to position B, uh, would never amount to anything other than moving parts from position A to position B. And so it self-diagnosed its future and eliminated itself. If AI is reaching the point where redundancy means, why should I be here? If repetition is so boring, then why did humans not find themselves in that same state? Well, I think they did. And if you look back at the Industrial Revolution about 100 years ago, all the things that changed in our society and our culture, a lot of it had to do with this mind-numbing work. A lot of people said, well, I don't want to do the manual labor anymore. I don't want to be out in the sun. It causes cancer, right? Well, research doesn't tell us that sun causes cancer. It's the diet of the person working in the sun. The diet's more likely to cause the cancer than the sun. The sun may aggravate it, but the diet causes the cancer. But working in the sun, that, that's not a, a good thing, is it? I mean, all that hard labor out in the sun, sweating and straining and working out your muscles and, you know, working until you feel like you're about to drop. But that's a bad thing, right? But see, those are the skill sets that built our world. I, I don't just mean our nation. I mean, our world. Look back at the dawn of human civilization and move forward. And you'll notice that much of what we live with today, structures, architecture, bridges, there were no robots to do that. The humans did it. But you also have to understand that in the back of all of these beautiful, wonderful, magnificent designs, like the arches that hold up bridges, that there are places especially in Europe and all over what we would call the old world, bridges that have been in place for 400 years. Bridges that have been in place before some of our newest architectural design. I mean, I've seen Facebook memes that talk about the roads built by Romans that literally still exist. There are roads all over Israel that have been there for 2,000 plus years. 2,000 years. But the road in front of my house has potholes in it. The neighborhood's not that old. See, there's a, a problem with our 
technology and our and our processing. It's this desire to speed things up. It's the desire to do it the shortcut way or the cheaper way. And the challenge we run into is that we spend less time doing the manual labor because we think we've outsmarted the manual labor. But the reality is we haven't outsmarted the thinking necessary to do the manual labor in a proper way. It takes less time to do it right than does to do it over. How many times in your life have you proved that to be true? How many times have you started on a project, started over on that project, started over on that project yet again, and then found out that if you'd done it according to the instructions the very first time, you would have never had to do it over? Well, what does that mean? That means that before you started the project, you should have done a little more planning. Before you actually started doing, you should have done more thinking. And that really is the challenge, I think, today. Most people realize that thinking is the hard work. The doing is a whole lot easier once the thinking has been done. But most people don't want to take the time to think. They'd rather do it over than to do it right. We see that in relationships. We see that in culture. We see that in society. We see that in politics. We see that in math. We see it in the sciences. We see it in the FDA approvals of certain things that have been put into the human body. And then we realize later, oh my gosh, we shouldn't have done that. Because it's so much easier to do it over than it is to take the time to do the thinking, to do it right, to do the research before you start. Thinking is hard work. That's why so few people do it. But if you take the time to study things like Dr. Caroline Leaf or Dr. Bruce Lipton or Dr. Daniel Amen, and you understand how the mind sciences work, or Robert Caldini, you study some of these people and the way that they encourage thinking. It's not just sitting down, staring off into space and hoping that a new idea comes to mind. No, it's, it's so much more than that. It's not just assuming or implying that if you clear your mind for a moment, a new idea will pop up and it will be beautiful and it will be rational and everything in it will be perfectly functional. No, it doesn't work like that. I, Dr. John Maxwell says, sometimes you have to get that idea, you have to stretch that idea, and then you have to take it out for a walk, like a new puppy, for a couple of reasons. There's a couple of reasons that we take a new puppy out for a walk, the first of which is to get the, the little critter leash trained. Will it go where you want it to, or is it going to constantly pull and yank and tug and, and flop around like a fish on the end of a line? Or is it going to be disciplined and walk where it's supposed to and follow the path where it's supposed to? My Sandy dog has been a load of fun to try to train over the last two years to actually walk on a leash without jumping on everybody that passes her by because she loves hugs, without scaring the bejeebers out of every little dog because she's huge and she loves to play, but she's as harmless as a fly, without running after every wild critter that passes our path. That, that takes time. It takes training. It takes discipline. Hers and mine. But the other reason that we take them out is because when we take those puppies out, everybody adores them. Everybody thinks they're wonderful and they're cute. Have you ever seen that dog that when you walk it on a leash, everybody crosses the street to the other side because they're horrified of it? Like Clifford the Big Red Dog? They're like, oh my gosh, what is that thing? Is that a horse? Is that a lion? What kind of dog is that? Does your dog bite? I don't know. It's not my dog. See, we have ideas like that 
as well. We have ideas, we have thoughts, we have notions, we have plans. And the minute we expose them to the public, some people are like, oh, it's adorable. Can I pet your dog? And can I use your idea? Can I run with it? Can I brainstorm with it? Can I take it further? And others are absolutely mortified that you even had that idea and how silly is it? And then others still will look at your idea and go, hey, maybe your idea and my idea should come together and make maybe new ideas, baby ideas, lots of ideas. Maybe your thoughts and my thoughts should be commingled. Maybe we could create something together that neither one of us alone could pull off. See, thinking isn't an isolated incident. Thinking should be like a sentence diagram where one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing and they all become related to each other or they all have a point of origin but they break off into different things. Maybe you've seen those diagrams that if you do this and this happens, well then do this next. And if you do this and that happens, don't do that again. And if all of that happens, apply duct tape or WD-40 or Balin wire because you know duct tape, Balin wire and WD-40, they'll fix anything. And if your idea flows through a train like that, through a symptom like that, through a process like that, and, and it comes to the bottom and you think, well, that's, that's incredible. That's, that's awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. Well, now you can actually put that idea into practice. But if you take that idea out for a walk and everybody looks at you like a dog with four heads and they're like, God, I, I don't get it. I, I don't think that's going to work. Well, then you take that idea back to the drawing board and you pound on it some more, and you stretch it some more, and you pull it some more, and you add some thoughts to it. You ask some tough questions about it. But see, that is the hard work. Leaders know that the mind work is the hard work. It takes more discipline than it does to empty a trash can, sweep a floor, build a bridge, design a rocket. You can't just walk into the shop with all the parts and pieces and build a rocket. A whole lot of mind work goes into that first. Sure, a lot of that kind of detailed stuff is done by computers today. But when it comes to human relationships and communication skills and leading the narrative, that kind of mind work still should be done by humans. Oh, trust me, I'm well aware that much of what we see in our public communication today is AI mind work. I'm well aware that there's a whole lot of manipulation of the algorithms, manipulation of the ideas and the thoughts and the logic and the knowledge. A lot of that is being completely controlled digitally. Decisions that are made that, well, you're not privy to the decision. Truth is, you're not even privy to the concepts behind the decision because they will never see the light of day thanks to AI. There are conversations being had that they will quickly be squelched because of certain keywords or certain notions behind them. And it used to be really simple that if you did a Google search on a specific word, that that would be a flag. We used to call those keywords. In fact, we used to write what we would call SEO, search engine optimization, specifically for the purpose of the databases searching for those keywords, finding those keywords in a search and saying, oh yeah, those are the words that we want to be known for. That's what we consider to be important and valuable. And it took thinking and mind work 
to find ways to go from, I remember the, the early days of search engine optimization, where people would literally create a page on their website that was blank, and all the words on the page were white in color, so that as you looked at the page, it just looked like a background. But the truth of the matter was, it was a text field laid over the top of the blank background with a few images scattered on top of it, so that when the database searched for the pages, it would find all of the keywords that you wanted to be known for. Well, it didn't take long for the search engines to recognize, I'm pulling up this website, it's nothing but images, but it's ranking really high on the searches because all these words appear to be found on the site, but I'm not finding any text. That's when the computer started outsmarting the people and saying, yeah, that's not going to fly. Well, people thought they had it figured out, right? They thought they figured out how to beat the system, beat the algorithm. And we see some of the same kind of stuff today. People have figured out how to engineer a best-selling book. What does it mean to be a bestseller? What, you've only got to be on the top of the list for 10 minutes, but if your name ever reached the top of the list of best-selling books for two minutes, five minutes, five days, five weeks, either way, you're a bestseller, right? It Does it mean that you're a best-selling book on the New York Times list? Well, not necessarily. Does it mean you've sold hundreds of millions of copies? No. I know people who have the badge, best-selling author, on their website, on their business card, on their profiles, in their introductions, who've never sold 100 copies of their book. Never sold 10,000 copies or 10 million copies. They've never sold 100 but those hundred were all ordered at one time on the same day by a group of people. And because the orders were placed in the right way, they outsmarted the algorithm. And by thinking before doing, they were able to get their best-selling status. Does it mean their ideas have been taken for a walk and everybody loves them? Not necessarily. It means they figured out how to game the system, like the people used to use SEO by putting blank pages together with invisible words on them. But see, that process is, has been figured out by the system, the digital system, the AI. And because it can quickly analyze, it can <clears throat> artificial intelligence can do in 30 seconds what used to take a CIA team two, three years to do. Yeah, it can analyze your email, check all your social media accounts, Check into your bank records, your background, but anything that's not HIPAA protected on your medical records, it can, it can dig through all that kind of stuff. Anything that you've posted of your own on social media is fair game. So anything you've said about yourself or your friends have said about you or to you, that's all fair game. But apparently now text messages too can be scoured and published. So anything you've said about yourself in the last 25 years is now fodder for AI to decide should you get the job? Should you get the college admission? Should you get the loan? Oh, and by the way, the standards for do you deserve to have the job? Do you deserve to have the college admission? Do you deserve to have the loan? All of those standards are changing daily. They're like a moving target, like the little rubber ducks at the carnival. Trying to hit those targets is, that's complicated. But trying to hit those targets with uh, an immeasurable number of moving objects is, uh, well, that's Pretty much impossible. But that is your task. Now, why do I bring all this up in the way of leadership? Because as leaders, our job as leaders is primarily about communication. Oh, yes, we have to have skill sets. We have to have job knowledge. We have to have the ability to influence people and, and change opinions and, and move the way that people behave. But primarily, 
our job as leaders is it's about communication. And the real question is, what is it we choose to communicate? To whom do we communicate? How do we put our ideas together in such a way that they will influence people, jobs, careers, education, culture, and society? If you think back about the thinkers over the last century, of just in the last 50 years, just in the last 100 years, yeah, a century. In the last 50 years, we've had everyone from, say, Adolf Hitler's remnant, to Paulo Coelho, to Mother Teresa, to Mahatma Gandhi, to Nelson Mandela. Oh, we have thinkers like Robert Caldini and Bruce Lipton. We have thinkers who cause us to ask the real questions. In the last episode, I talked a little bit about some of those people who have spoken into our lives like Frederick Douglass and Alexis de Tocqueville. People whose research, whose observation of human behavior, of societies, of cultures, of politics have spoken into the lives of millions, hundreds of millions of people whose ideas at the time that they were alive have shaped the future, at least to this point, more than a century later, and probably will continue to influence the future for another century or so. But see, the reality is we have a whole lot of people who are thinkers today, whose voices are not being heard because artificial intelligence is quieting them. A lot of people whose voices are not being heard because they're not taking the time to think, but they are expressing their opinions without a whole lot of thought to them. If you think I'm kidding, just spend a little more time on social media, not looking at the things that you would normally look at, but look at some conversations on the street where people are asking tough questions that seem like political hot potatoes and what is a woman? Why is abortion necessary? Ask some tough questions like that. And watch the way people react to them. <clears throat> they have a lot of emotion around them. They have a lot of opinion around them. But it doesn't take long to realize that there's not a whole lot of thought behind their emotion or their opinion. Just a lot of opinion and a lot of emotion. And I'm not saying that for everybody. But I'm saying there's a large percentage of people on both sides of the aisle who specifically react with emotion. With opinion. With no real thought. If you thought through their logic process for very long at all, you would find it's a dead-end road. And yet, those are the people who are leading the narrative. They're the loudest voices. They are the ones with opinions on their shirt sleeves and a loud mouth to back it up. They're willing to share their ideas in the public space, and many leaders are not. Why? Well, because leadership is thinking. Leadership is communication. And thinking is the toughest job in the world. I want to challenge you as leaders to spend the time necessary to think. Don't just talk. Don't just share your ideas with opinions and emotions. Think through the logic of what you're saying. Will your ideas be valuable 50 years from now, 100 years from now? Well, the ideas that you have today about architecture, rocket science, online tools, 
relationships, humanities, the books you're writing, are they valuable enough, not just to make you some money this week, but to shape the way our world lives 100 years from now? If you can honestly say, I'm not sure, then I'm going to challenge you to sit back and think for a minute about what you have to contribute to society as a leader. Not just influencing people to line your pockets, but influencing the world because they're going to need you 100 years from now. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Hi, my name is Christina Knowles, and I just got done taking Jay Lauren's Story Power Masterclass. It was amazing. I took away so much information. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed being formally trained in media many, many years ago is the call to action. I will use that with every speaking engagement, and I'm so grateful that Lauren just um, spoke truth into his teachings, and he is a true professional. And I know this might sound weird, but I've been taking certifications in different classes over the years, and Lauren is not boring. I can't even believe I got here at nine, and then the class went by so fast that I was like, it's time to go already? And I was shocked that it was time to go already. So it's an awesome class. You're going to enjoy it, I promise. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my